flip open the Word of God with me, please, if you will, to the last book of your Bible, to the book that is known as the Revelation of Jesus Christ. And uh, what a book it is. I'm not going to preach the entire book this week, and all God's people said, Amen. It's the wrong place to say Amen, but I understand. There's a lot in Revelation. And most of the time, when people go to the Revelation, they're thinking about some event. Who is the Antichrist? And what are the signs of the coming of the Lord? Uh, how will the world end? All of that kind of thing. But I want you to know that the Revelation is not a revelation of things. It's a revelation of a person, and his name is Jesus Christ. I was on an airplane the other day flying to New York City to preach, and a, a businesswoman was seated next to me on the flight. She was an older lady, very kind, uh, and very opinionated. Have you ever sat next to a person like that before? And uh, I honestly, I didn't even initiate the conversation. I was going to speak to her, but I didn't even initiate it. She did. I was reading a book, and she looked over, and she saw the book, and so she struck up a conversation. And within about two minutes, she went straight to politics. And let me tell you, she unloaded everything she thought about everybody that was breathing on planet Earth. She told me exactly what she thought. And then, after about five minutes, she took a deep breath, and she said, well, what do you think? And um, at that juncture, I don't know if she knew exactly what I did for a living or not. You know, when you tell people on a plane you're a preacher, they're either really glad to be sitting next to you or really wish they weren't. You know what I mean? <clears throat> and I said to this lady, I said, well, I'm going to tell you something. And I guess she expected that I was going to argue with her or make some issue of something. I said, uh, there's really one person I like talking about. I said, I travel every week of my life, and I talk about him everywhere I go, and I try to tell people everything I can about him. And she, she perked up, and her eyes got big. She said, really? Who is that? I said, his name is Jesus. Oh, I wish you could have seen the look on her face. It was a beautiful moment, a beautiful moment. By the way, she didn't want to talk much longer after that. I'm not sure why. But I said to her, I said, look, man, I said, the truth of the matter is we're all sinners, and all these people you're talking about, they're all sinners. There's only one perfect man. That's the God-man, the Lord Jesus. And I'm going to tell you, the longer I'm in this, and the more I travel, and the more people I meet, the more I like just to get to the bottom line, let's talk about Jesus. Because in the end, that's the only thing that matters. Someone said, what is this world coming to? I'll tell you what it's coming to. Every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Someday soon that's going to happen. And that's the picture we find in Revelation chapter number 5. Would you open your Bible there? Revelation chapter 5. We're going to read the whole chapter, all 14 verses. And then I'll give you my thoughts very briefly. But I want to warn you before we read the text. When I finish preaching in just a few moments, I'm going to ask every person in this room to do something. Everybody. And whether you do or not, that's not between me and you. That's between you and God. But I'm going to ask you to respond to the Word of God. Look at Revelation 5, beginning in verse 1. John said, And I saw on the right hand of him that sat on the throne a book written within and on the backside, sealed with seven seals. Now, let me just pause here and say, God has lots of books. He's quite an author. You're reading out of one of them this morning. This is not my book. This is not your book. This is God's book. And God has lots of books. We know that he has a book called the Lamb's Book of Life. And the name of every person that has received the Lord Jesus Christ as their personal Savior, their name is written down in that book. That's pretty exciting to me to think my name is written in heaven. And I'm going to see that name someday, and he sees it now. I wonder, is your name written down in the Lamb's Book of Life? The Bible says there are books of records. And I'll tell you this, God keeps better records than we do. 
Sunday when you stand before the Lord, the Bible says the books will be open. That's the books wherein God keeps a good record and account of your life when we stand before Almighty God someday. Well, the book that he's referring to here is a sealed book. It is a book of prophecy. It is a book that detailed the future of the world and what would happen. It is a book that would affect us. That's why it's a very important book. Look at verse 2. And I saw a strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice, Who is worthy? Open the book and loose the seals thereof. And no man, no man in heaven or in earth, neither under the earth, was able to open the book, neither to look thereon. And I wept much, because no man was found worthy to open and to read the book, neither to look thereon. By the way, if the chapter stopped right there, we'd all be in a mess. But it doesn't. Verse 5, one of the elders said it in the movie. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has prevailed to open the book and to loose the seven seals thereof. And I beheld, and lo, in the midst of the throne and of the four beasts, and in the midst of the elders stood a lamb as it had been slain, having seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent forth into all the earth. And he came and took the book out of the right hand of him that sat upon the throne, and when he had taken the book, the four beasts and four and twenty elders fell down before the lamb, having every one of them harps and golden vials full of odors, which are the prayers of saints. And they sung a new song, saying, Thou art worthy to take the book and to open the seals thereof, for thou wast slain and hast redeemed us to God by thy blood out of every kindred and tongue and people and nation and has made us unto our God kings and priests. And we shall reign on the earth. And I beheld and I heard the voice of many angels round about the throne and the beast and the elders. And the number of them was 10,000 times 10,000 and thousands of thousands, saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb that was slain, to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. And every creature which is in heaven and on the earth and under the earth and such as are in the sea and all that are in them heard I saying, Blessing and honor and glory and power be unto him that sitteth upon the throne and unto the Lamb forever and ever. And the four beasts said, Amen. And four and twenty elders fell down and worshipped him that liveth forever and ever. I bring you today to Revelation chapter 5, the end of the Bible, because I believe this is where the story actually begins. It's not the end. This is where the story begins for all of us. This particular meeting is a mission conference. I understand that. I love the fact that your church loves the gospel. In fact, I even like the name of your church. I love the fact that your church is trying to reach the lost in this community and send people around the world. I've I've heard about your church and your interest and your heart for souls, and I rejoice and I give God the glory for that, and I commend you for it, and I thank you for being in this conference. It's wonderful. Hear me with your heart, please. Look at me, please. Motive matters. Listen to what I just said. Motive matters. It's not just what you do. It's why you do it. 
Did you know it is possible to do the right thing for the wrong reason? I'm bringing you this morning a, a one-word sermon. How many of you like to hear a one-word sermon? Somebody said, praise God, we've been waiting on a message like this. Big word. The questioning question. It is the one question that when children start growing up, they, they ask their parents perhaps more than any other. How many parents and grandparents are in the room today? Would you raise your hand? What's the one question young people love to ask? What? It is the one question that we are prone to ask when things are not going well. I remember, isn't it funny how certain memories stand out in your mind? I remember one year we were on vacation as a family, on a family vacation, and we went to church on Sunday morning. I mean, that's a good thing. Don't you know that's a good thing? Went to church on a Sunday morning on vacation. We were driving back to the place we were staying from church, and we were coming to a roundabout in a certain area, and a guy ran through and slammed into the side of our car and totaled our car. I remember that so vividly. I was just a boy. I remember my dad getting out of the car and putting his hands on the hood of that car, and I'll never forget him saying, why? The truth of the matter is we've all asked it, haven't we? Somebody gets sick, why? Bad things happen to good people, why? Somebody dies, why? Things fall apart, why? Look at me, please. The great question in life is not what. The great question in life is why. And if you can answer the why, you can answer the what. If you can get the heart of the matter, the motive right, then everything grows and flows out of that. If you can learn what is the great thing, what is the thing that makes the eternal difference, then it sorts everything else out. It clarifies everything else. Some people have suggested if we could get a glimpse of heaven, that would change us forever. And yet, as I read the revelation of Jesus Christ, it was not the vision of heaven that John was most in awe of. Isn't that interesting? Then somebody else says, well, I tell you what, if we get a glimpse of hell and what eternity separated from God is like, that would be motivation enough for us to take action and do something that counts for eternity, perhaps. And yet, John got a glimpse of hell. And though it affected him deeply, that was not the vision that most impacted him. The vision that most changed him was not the vision of heaven or the vision of hell. It was the vision of him who sits upon the throne. See, it's a funny thing about things. They affect you for a while, and then they don't. In fact, you can sit in a meeting like this, and you can watch pictures of people around the world, and you can get stirred up with empathy for them or sympathy for them. You can read the news or watch the news and get a little stirred up, and Fear or anxious care can motivate you for a moment. But I want to say to you this morning on the authority of the Word of God that the only thing that truly motivates a man purely and accurately and consistently is one thing, and that is a clear vision of Jesus Christ. That's why the Apostle Paul said, the love of Christ constraineth us. You see, the why is actually a who. The hymn writer wrote it this way, turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face, and the things of this world will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. Do you understand that someday all that we see and know and rest on and think so much of, all of that will burn up and fade into oblivion? Someday all of that will be gone, and the only thing that will matter in the end is the eternal God. It's the only thing that matters. It's not us. 
It's him. It's not them. It's him. And so you ask the question, why? Why do missionaries? I mean, let's just get frank for a minute. In the kind of world we lived in, why would a missionary leave his home, leave his family, spend time raising money, go halfway around the world, give the rest of his life to work with people they didn't know? Why? There's only one answer to that question. Only Jesus can do that. Why do we give? Because the preacher says we should. You do that for the preacher, I want you to know, at some point you'll stop doing it because you're not doing it for the right person. No, no, we don't do that for the preacher. We do that for Jesus. And why do we pray earnestly, fervently for a spiritual awakening in our land? And why do we get a burden for souls? And why do we weep over the laws? Why? I tell you, there's only one good reason. His name is Jesus. Why are we here today? I mean, honestly, of all the places you could be, and all the people that would say you shouldn't be here, why are you here today? There's only one reason for that. His name is Jesus. Why do I travel every week? Because I like to travel? That's craziness. Because I want to be away from my family? Nonsense. No, no. I'm giving my life to the work of the evangelist because I believe there's a God in heaven. There is a real eternity. The time is short. And the gospel of Jesus Christ still does the work. I believe that someday... I'm going to bow the nail-pierced feet of Jesus Christ and give an account of my life. He's the only one worthy of this. There's a lot of profound things in Revelation chapter 5, but let me just give you three simple little observations this morning that all come from this chapter, and they'll answer the question, why? Number one, if you write down somewhere, Jesus is wonderful. Say that with me, would you please? Jesus is wonderful. No, no, I want you to say it like you mean it, would you please? Jesus is wonderful. Turn and tell the person next to you, would you please? Oh, that was pretty good for dead people. Let's try that with a little more life, all right? If you, look, if you've got to get your preaching finger out and say it with heart, then point at that sinner next to you and tell them. But ready? On the count of three, let's all say it. One, two, three. Jesus is wonderful. Look back at me, please. What is that word wonderful? We use it kind of glibly and lightly in our society. Yeah, that's wonderful. That's wonderful. That's what everything's not wonderful. What is wonderful? It's something that is full of wonder. I stand in, in awe. I stand in amazement at one person. Look, sometimes I think people are wonderful, and then I get to know them, and I find out they're not wonderful at all. Sometimes I buy something, and I think that's wonderful, and then it falls apart. Every now and then we start thinking we're wonderful. And then we miserably fail the Lord, and we realize, no, what I am is just a black-hearted hell-deserving sinner in desperate need of the mercy of God. There's only one person who's really wonderful, and his name is what, church? Jesus. If I were to ask you, what is Jesus' first name? And someone would say, well, his full title is the Lord Jesus Christ. That's right. That's his title, the Lord Jesus Christ. And Jesus is the earthly name that he was given, which means Savior. What is his first name? I'm asking you this morning, what is his first name? Isaiah tells us in Isaiah chapter 9, verse number 6, his name shall be called, what was first on the list? Remember? Wonderful. The mighty God, the everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. Somebody says, well, which one is he? Yes, he's all the above. But his first name is Wonderful. I love this expression in verse number 3. Would you mark it in your Bible? It says, and no man. No man in heaven, no man in earth, no man under the earth was able to open the book. No man. You know, sometimes on earth 
we get pretty enamored with men, don't we? By the way, did it ever dawn on you that maybe that's why we haven't had revival? Maybe the reason our generation is not known as spiritual awakening is because in this age of man's progress and enlightenment and intellect and ingenuity and invention that perhaps in this generation we have gotten so consumed in the Instagram society with man that we have forgotten that man is nothing and God is everything. There was no man there worthy of opening this book. Only one perfect man, that's the God-man, the Lord Jesus Christ. Only one, no man. Let me just tell you, the best men will disappoint you. That's why the Bible says in the middle verse of Scripture, it is better to trust in the Lord than to put confidence in man. It says in the next verse, it is better to trust in the Lord than to put confidence in princes. Who's that? That's the best men. May I say this? Pray for our governmental leaders and pray for those in authority. Pray for those who make decisions. But don't ever expect them to be perfect people. If you do, you're going to be a very disappointed, disillusioned human being. No man, no man is wonderful, but watch this please, Jesus is wonderful. He gives us two beautiful pictures of our wonderful Christ. Mark them in your Bible, look at verse number 6. Would you mark right in the heart of verse number 6, a lamb. He is, he is the wonderful lamb of God that taketh away the sin of the world. He is the wonderful lamb of God that was slain from the foundation of the world. And look at his description of the lamb. The Bible says this lamb had seven horns and seven eyes, and somebody says, that doesn't sound wonderful, that sounds scary to me. But in fact, it is symbolic of something. You see, seven is the number of completion, of strength. It is the number of wholeness. It is the number that says nothing is lacking. Watch this, please. Even the people that you know that you think have it all together, may I tell you something about them? They don't have it all together. There's only one person who's really whole and perfect in every way, and that's the Lord Jesus. And look, the Bible says he had seven horns. Horns are representative of strength. He has perfect strength. Aren't you glad when we are weak, he is always strong? Aren't you glad when the world is coming apart of the seams that our God holds the world in the palm of his hand? Aren't you glad when nobody knows what to do, our God is still on his throne where he's always been? It's his perfect strength. And then it says he has seven eyes. And what are the seven eyes? Watch this. He not only has perfect strength, he has perfect knowledge. The eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth, beholding the evil and the good. At this moment, are you ready? God has his eye on you. There's no place you can go. Nothing you can do and nothing you have to deal with that God doesn't know about. He is the perfect lamb. But here's the key. Look at the, look at the verse. A lamb as it had been. Mark this word in your Bible in verse 6. What had the lamb been? Slain picture, of course, of the crucifixion of Christ, the slaughter of the innocent one, the sacrifice of heaven, of the heavenly father for his, of his own precious son. Wow. How did Jesus die? Pastor was kind in introducing me as a preacher of the gospel of Jesus Christ, and certainly I want to be that, but may I introduce myself a little differently? I'm sinful. I dressed up for me, but I'm sinful. You can let a guy dress up and give him a Bible and let him preach to others, but in the end, we all deserve hell, every last one of us. But I'm not in hell this morning, and blessed be to the name of Jesus, I'm never going to hell. Why? Because Jesus died for me. 
took my place. He is the lamb slain. Oh, but that's not all. Look back up to verse number 5. He is not only a lamb, but would you mark in verse 5, he is the lion. Someone says, well, is he lamb or is he lion? He's both. He's everything. Look, in verse 6, as the lamb he is slain, but in verse 5, as the lion, he hath prevailed. Would you mark that word prevailed in verse number 5? In other words, he not only died on that cross and was buried, but praise God, three days later, he got up out of that grave alive forevermore, and he lives today. He has prevailed. You see, he is able to do what needs to be done in Revelation 5 because of that tomb, he did what needed to be done, and he came out of that grave alive forevermore. The word prevail is a word of battle and conflict. And I want to declare to you this morning on the authority of the book I'm preaching from right now that our Christ has conquered Everything, death, hell, the grave, sin, all of it has been conquered by Jesus Christ. That's why I can say to you, Jesus is what, church? Enough. The second thing I want you to write down in the margin of your Bible, and is this, Jesus is worthy. It's a word that's used throughout the chapter. It actually began in chapter 4. Back up to chapter 4, verse 11, would you? Notice how the previous chapter ended. Thou art, mark it please in your Bible, worthy, O Lord to receive glory and honor and power. For thou hast created all things, and for thy pleasure they are and were created. In verse 2, who is worthy? In verse 4, no man was found worthy. In verse 9, they sung a new song saying, Thou art worthy to take the book. In verse 12, saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb that was slain. What is he worthy of? Are you ready for the answer? Everything. In fact, that's why God gives this list. Look at the list. In verse 12, he's worthy of power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. He's worthy of everything. By the way, that's the song of eternity. And if that's the song of eternity, I want to submit to you today, that should be our song now. Worthy is the Lamb. Christ alone is worthy of all. Why should you yield yourself to him? Why should you obey him this week? Because I say so, you don't even know me. Because somebody else is, that won't keep you going. Because you get a little emotional stirring in your heart. Look, you let emotions run your life, emotions will ruin your life. I see way too many Christians and church members riding the religious roller coaster. They're up and down, in and out, on and off, hot and cold. Listen to me. There's one thing that will keep you doing the right thing long after this conference is over, and it is this. Jesus Christ is worthy. Revelation 5 is an amazing picture in heaven. Did you notice that there's only two things that are here on earth right now that will be there in eternity? Only two things in this life. What are they? One of them are souls. And for example, everybody look with me. Look at verse number 8. The Bible says, when he had taken the book, the four beasts and four and twenty elders. Did you know the 24 elders in Revelation is a picture of the church, the saved people? Well, it's a picture of us. They're there. They fell down before the Lamb, having every one of them harps and golden vials full of odors, which are the prayers of the saints. So there's the second thing that is on earth that will be in eternity. Not only the eternal souls of men, but then the prayers of saints. That's powerful to me. I want you to ponder this just a moment. Someday it all will be gone. Bigger house? Gone. A newer car? Gone. Money in the retirement, finished. Someday everything on this planet will be gone and only two things will be met at the throne of God. 
warm and cold. So I go and empty handed. And so I meet my Savior so not one soul was disappointed. So I empty handed go. How many of you are going to heaven? You still glad about it? Let me ask you another question. Who are you taking with you? When you get there and you say, I'm glad I got here, who is going to point at you and say, well, I'm here because you told me about it. I'm here because you brought me. I'm, I'm here because you led me to Jesus. I'm, I'm here because of you. You want to find out how rich you are? Add up everything money can't buy and death can't take away. That's how rich you are. Somebody said, well, you can't take it with you. No, but you can send it on ahead by investing in the only thing that's going there, and that's the eternal souls of men. And I wonder, are you investing your whole life in trying to get sinners saved? The greatest joy of my life is to see people call on the Lord for salvation and come to faith in Jesus Christ. And you know why? Because someday around the feet of Jesus, that's the only thing that's going to matter. Souls. By the way, did you notice God's not prejudiced? There's a lot of prejudice in this world, but God's not prejudiced. Notice what the Bible says in the verse 9. He's redeemed us to God by his blood out of every kindred and tongue and people and nation. Why is that? Because God loves all people. And Jesus died for every man. And I want you to know there's a world full of sinners outside the walls of this church building this morning that desperately need the gospel of Jesus Christ. And our window is closing Time is short and eternity is long and Jesus alone is worthy of being preached. And notice what the Bible says in verse 11. We heard the voice of not only angels about the throne but the beast and the elders and notice the number in verse 11. Look at verse 20. And the number of them was 10,000 times 10,000. Now, my math's not real good. I could be wrong. But I think 10,000 times 10,000 is 100 million souls. How many of you know that's a lot of people? You want to talk about a worship service. By the way, I don't want to miss that service, do you? I mean, like this is the Lord's day. I don't want to miss out on it. Are you going to be there? I hope you'll be there. I hope you'll take your family with you. I hope you'll get your friends and your coworkers and your neighbors to go with you that day. How does that happen? They got to know Jesus. You see, the only ones there that day are going to be those who know Christ and have been redeemed, who've been saved, whose hearts have been transformed by the precious blood of Jesus Christ. And what are we going to do? Oh, I'm telling you, we're going to bow at Jesus' feet. We're going to say Jesus is worthy. And for good measure, for good measure, the Holy Ghost said, lest you think this hundred million is an exact math, look at the end of the verse. He says, and thousands of thousands. I love it. Let me tell you who's going to be there. An unknown number of eternal souls. They're going to be there. Did you know that someday the last soul is going to be saved? Oh, yeah. Some morning, some preacher is going to preach, or somebody's going to give a track, or somebody's going to talk to someone, and the last sinner in this age of grace, this age of the Spirit, the church age, is going to bow their unworthy head and say to the Lord, Lord, I want to be saved. Someday the bride's going to be complete, the body's going to be complete, and at that moment a trumpet's going to sound and Christ is going to step out on a cloud. Now I'm going to tell you, that's going to be a glorious day. I wonder, are you ready for that day? And does it bother you that others aren't? See, the greatest event in the history of the world is not on the news today. I thought this week, 
You see all the mayhem and chaos. Can you imagine how the media and the world's going to react at the rapture of the church? They're going to lose their mind. Will you hear me with your heart just a moment? There are people outside these walls that need Jesus this week. So we haven't had a good mission conference because we've all come in here and felt pretty good about our meeting. We've not fulfilled the mission until we get out yonder where the sinners are in the harvest field and start bringing people to Jesus Christ. Jesus is worth it. And notice this, please. Some of you think, well, I can't do anything. Oh, yes, you can. Look at the end of verse number 8. Not only are eternal souls there, but your prayers are there. Isn't this glorious? God heard them all. God remembered them all. God kept them all. Some of you have been praying for somebody to be saved for years, and you think God's never going to answer your prayers. Some of you right now think your prayers are just hitting the ceiling and bouncing off. I want you to know there's a God in heaven that has all your tears in a bottle and all of your prayers like incense ascending before the throne. God hears every prayer of his children. And someday we're going to meet those prayers at the judgment seat. I wonder what I'm going to meet at the judgment seat. You ever figure that out? You know what scares me to death? I'm just going to be frank with you. Not what I'm going to find out about what I did. I'm concerned about what I missed. I've been thinking lately what it's going to be like to stand before Jesus and Jesus says, Scott, look over here. Look over here. See all those souls? Those were all people I wanted to use you to bring. You didn't obey me. Scott, you see all this over here? See all those blessings, all those good things? I had all that for you, but you didn't take it. Scott, look over here. See all this? These are all answers to prayer that I was ready to give. I was ready to give them, and you never even asked for them. Jesus is worth it. The third truth, and I'm done. Come to verse 14. When I stop, you say the next word, and the four beasts said amen, and the four and twenty elders fell down, and what? Circle that in your Bible, because that's where it all goes to. It all leads to worship, every bit of it. Number one, I said Jesus is wonderful. Number two, Jesus is worthy, but number three, Jesus is to be worshipped. See, the last picture in the chapter is the lasting privilege that we all have. What do you think we're going to do for all eternity? We're going to worship God, not in some boring kind of stiff way. It's going to be the greatest joy and adventure of your life for all eternity to worship our Christ. But don't you think we ought to get some practice on it now? I'm going to tell you, I'm in lots of meetings. I'm sorry. I'm in lots of meetings where people are trying to pump something up and trying to pump and say, won't you all give? Won't you please pray? Won't you please tell somebody about Jesus? Now, we need everybody to do a little more for missions this year like they're begging people to do a little more. Let me tell you what I've learned. Watch this, please. If people learn to worship God, they will do everything they're supposed to do. I'm going to tell you why. You get in the presence of a holy God, it changes your perspective on everything. Pretty soon, you're not doing it for them, you're doing it for Him. See, that's the why. You know what today is? Somebody said a mission conference. No, this is a worship service. The work grows out of the worship, and the greatest thing we could do is all worship God. Hey, sir, when was the last time you bowed your head and really worshiped? Didn't say when were you last in a worship service. Worship's not a group sport. It's the individual heart attitude towards God. Ma'am, when was the last time you said to the Lord, Lord, you're wonderful. You're worthy of everything. Take all of me. I'm yours. 
Young man, young lady, when was the last time you truly worshipped God in spirit and in truth and were so taken with who God is that the love of Christ constrains you? God got a hold of you. See, when Calvary captures a man, when Christ consumes a man, it changes everything. It answers the why. Because suddenly you're not looking at people and you're not looking at yourself and you're not looking at the world. You're looking at Jesus Christ. He alone is wonderful. He alone is worthy. And He alone is to be worshipped. Mr. Brainerd, you're coughing up blood. Why are you still riding on horseback to all the Indians? Why? Jesus is worthy. Taylor? Don't you know it's safer out here on the coast of China than to go inland? I know it. God wants me to go inland. Why? Jesus is worthy. Amy Carmichael, you're single. You're living in India. Why are you spending all your time rescuing these little teenage girls out of, out of the Hindu temples, saving them from pagan prostitution and telling them, that, that there is a God that really does love them. Why? Why are you doing that? She says, Jesus is worthy. Mr. Livingston, you can't even walk now. They're, they're carrying you on little carts from town to town. Jesus is worthy. Hey, Borden, your family's rich. You can have anything you want, do anything you want. Why'd you give it all away? To die at 25 years of age in Cairo, Egypt, and be marked, by a little grave marker in a cemetery somewhere. Why give your life that way? Only one reason. Jesus is worthy. His name was Zinzendorf. He stood in an art gallery in Germany looking at an artist's rendering of Calvary. No artist can picture the suffering of Calvary, but it was a powerful painting. He saw the three crosses and the man on the middle, and he knew. He knew the story. He was a believer. He stood there with a tear in his eye, and then he wiped it away and turned to walk away. And as he did, a little plaque beneath the painting captured his attention, and he turned it back around and read it carefully aloud. And this is what he read. All this have I done for thee. What hast thou done for me? Zinzendorf went back to his university, said to a group of friends, you know, fellows, I don't know what will come of this. We've got to do something for Jesus. He's worthy of it. And he started a prayer group in his dorm room. That's what he did. He started a prayer group would become the Moravian Missionary Movement. It would circle the globe. It would bring millions to faith in Christ. Because one guy figured out why. Two Moravian missionaries were leaving their home, selling themselves as slaves to a slave owner on an island. Someone said, what possesses a man to do such a thing? That's not normal. No, no, that's not normal. It's not natural. It's supernatural. They discovered that this island had never heard the gospel of Christ, had never allowed a preacher or a missionary on the island, and that the only outsiders that ever, ever came onto the island were slaves, and so they sold themselves as slaves never to return again. We don't know anything about some sacrificial God talking to us. On the morning, they walked the plank to that slave ship to get on board goodbye to their family. Friends came weeping, waving to them off for the last time. And said those two young men stopped, stopped the plank, turned around, raised their hands toward heaven. 
This is what they said. May the lamb that was slain receive the reward of his faith. Sounds to me like they've been reading Revelation 5. What do you think? Jesus, our Father, I thank you for the word of God that liveth and abideth forever. And I thank you for Jesus. He's Jesus. Our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed. We'll sit quietly for a moment. And before we have any music on the piano, in a moment I'm going to ask our sister if she would play Turn Your Eyes Upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face. But before we do that, I want to ask a question or two. How many of you truly know you've been born again? You know your sins are forgiven. Jesus is your Savior. And if you died this morning, there's not a doubt in your mind. You're ready to meet God. You say, I know I'm saved. I want you to raise your hand big and high in the air if mine. Keep it up just like this, please. With your hand raised to heaven right now, would you just thank the Lord for a moment? Just thank him for a moment. When was the last time you just said to Jesus, thank you for not letting me go to hell? Thank you, Lord. What a wonderful Savior we have. Praise his holy name. could not raise your hand with confidence. I want to thank you for not lying. It's dangerous to lie to the God of the truth. You already know that. And I want to ask right now if you'd tell the truth again. Before I ask the question, I'm going to give you my word. You don't know me, but I'm not in the business of embarrassing people. I don't like that. I didn't come to try to make a spectacle of anyone. I love you. God loves you. I want to pray for you. Well, among us today would say, Preacher, I'm not sure I'm saved and my sins are forgiven, but I know this for sure. I don't want to be lost. I don't want to go to hell. I'm not certain of my soul's eternal destiny, but I know this. I don't want to be separated from God forever because of my sins. Preacher, I'm concerned about my soul. Pray for me. I want you to lift your hand in the air with mine right now, big and high where I can see it. It's long enough for me to acknowledge it and then pull it back down. You say, I'm not certain. Pray for me. Anyone at all I'm looking for. Anyone, you say, I'm not sure I'm saved, but I want to be. Pray for me. And best I can tell, only God knows the heart, but best I can tell, I'm speaking to believers here. I'm very happy you're here. Here's what I know. I know that in this room there are some believers who are living close to him and some who are not. Preacher hadn't told me anything. That's just true everywhere. Because in days I have. Here's what I know. No matter where you are with God right now, one thing can change everything, and that is if you would truly come into his presence and worship him. If you would bring yourself, your sin, all of your life into God's holy presence and say to the Lord, Lord, thank you for loving me. I love you too. I'm yours. And worship God. I know one thing. You'd leave this meeting different than you came in. My invitation this morning is very simple. And very specific. In a moment, I'm going to begin a prayer. But I'm not going to say amen. I'm not ending it. I'm just beginning it. When I finish my part of the prayer, I'm going to point to the instrumentals. When I do, they're going to begin to play. And when they hit the first note, turn your eyes upon Jesus. Here's what I know it is. I'm going to ask every believer in this room to join me in doing one thing. Worshiping God. If you're physically able, I'm going to ask you to leave your seat. 
It's the first meeting of the mission conference. I understand that, but I know something. If we can begin with worship, there's no telling what God could speak to us about what God could accomplish. If you're physically able, I'm going to ask you to leave your seat and come join me in this old-fashioned altar. If you can kneel, I think it would be very good. If you can't kneel, stand. If you can't stand, sit along the front. If you're not physically able to leave your seat, pray, talk to God, worship the Lord where you are. God understands that and so do we. But I think it would be good as a church family this morning if we came into God's presence and just worshiped him and thanked him for his goodness and mercy in our lives and tell the Lord Jesus how much we love him. Would you stand with me all around right now as I begin this prayer? Our Father, use the word to accomplish your work. Make us true worshipers at this moment. Bring every believer in this room nearer to God and set things in motion today that you'll meet us with him. And thank you. Amen. If you would like to know more about the Lord Jesus Christ, you may contact us at the church website, gospelbaptistchurch.com, or you can go to Facebook and type in Gospel Baptist Church Bonita Springs, Florida, also, you could call the church office at 239-947-1285. Thank you, and God bless.